0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's so good to be with you this morning, uh, to sing together, to pray together, to listen to God's Word, uh, read together. Uh, Go ahead and turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4, Ruth 4. And if you're using one of the Bibles provided underneath the chairs, you can find today's passage on page 224, 224. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible at home that you can uh, read on your own time, feel free to just take one of the ones uh, underneath the chairs as our gift to you. We would love for you to have uh, your own copy of God's Word, because we believe He has spoken to us from it, that it is authoritative and without error in everything that it intends. Uh, So we would love nothing more than for you to have your own copy to read on your own time. Uh, We've come to the end of a four-week series through the book of Ruth, Second book that uh, we have been through together as a church since I've been here. Uh, This one, significantly shorter than the first. uh, But you've missed quite a lot if you have missed the first three chapters of Ruth. Uh, So allow me just to provide a recap of what has happened in the story up to this point. Uh, If my sermons were a TV show that you were watching, this would be the previously on section that happens just before the title screen. Uh, Don't skip... This portion it has important info for what's going to be in the content of chapter four. I was tempted uh, in coming to chapter four to just reread uh, the whole book, uh, but let me just encourage you to do that uh, at home later today if you would like. But Ruth is an amazing story of how God can work through great tragedy, uh, in even in the most bitter of circumstances and yet bring about great blessings through them. That's what we see in the life of Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law. In In chapter 1, she has a Job-like experience. Uh, Her family leaves the promised land due to a famine and goes into uh, the enemy land of Moab. And during that time, her sons take Moabite wives. And after 10 years of living there, all of the men in the household die. Naomi's left without a husband, whose name is Elimelech, without her two sons, but she is left with two daughters-in-law from Moab. She is elderly beyond the years of being able to bear children herself. She has no husband, no prospects, no sons to take care of her in her old age. She reaches the end of herself. So she decides to return to Bethlehem because she hears that there uh, is food again, that the famine is over, and she cares for her two daughter-in-laws, so she attempts to send them away back to their homeland in Moab. Uh, One of them does, but the other, who is Ruth, clings to her, and the way that she clings is very important. It's this word hesed that we've talked about. It's normally Translated as steadfast love or covenant loyalty or loving kindness. And it is often used to describe the way that God is faithful to his people. Ruth is faithful to her mother-in-law, Naomi. So the fact that we see hesed in a Moabite woman is incredible. She even says to Naomi in chapter 116, Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Upon returning to Bethlehem, Naomi is in a pitiful state. She mourns that the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. She says she went away full, but the Lord has brought her back empty. But there is a sliver of hope for Naomi in that they return at the beginning of the barley harvest. In chapter 2, then, Ruth, demonstrates great character in placing herself in danger by going out to the fields to provide for Naomi and collecting grain. This is during the time of the judges, remember. There's no king in the land. The way that the time of judges is described in the book of Judges is that everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes. It was a time of chaos. And so Ruth goes out to glean from the fields, trusting in God's providence to provide for her. And then... As she goes out, the author sarcastically tells us that she happened to come to the field of a man named Boaz, who happened to be a relative of Elimelech, Naomi's late husband. This has huge implications. By being a relative, he is identified as someone who could potentially take Naomi and Ruth under his wing, In fact, it was an obligation according to the law of Israel that family members were to act as guardian redeemers for their lineage and for their land. Boaz is shown to be honorable and a worthy man in the way that he treats his his workers. And the way that he provides for Ruth goes beyond any kind of kindness that was expected through the harvest. Ruth returns to Naomi overflowing with grain to give her, and Naomi realizes that the Lord is providing for her even in such dire circumstances. Though it was not what she imagined, the Lord answered her prayers from chapter 1. They both recognized that in Boaz, God had provided refuge for them temporarily. Chapter 3 then takes an interesting turn. Naomi begins to regain hope hope enough to act in the interest of providing for Ruth, so she gives Ruth some advice to go and basically propose to Boaz. She goes to ask Boaz to marry her to take the responsibility of being a redeemer legally. When read rightly, chapter 3 is an amazing display of self-control and commitment between Boaz and Ruth. Ruth asks to remain under his wings of protection forever as his wife, and Boaz Prioritizes Ruth's reputation, her legal standing, and the rights of another family member who stands first in line to redeem them before Boaz. So he tells Ruth to wait while he goes to the other redeemer to meet him. In any case, there is hope that Ruth and Naomi will get redeemed, but the mention of another redeemer means that it might not be Boaz. Chapter 4 brings the entire story to an epic conclusion. The questions looming in the background since chapter 1 are, will Naomi's family end in extinction? What will become of this elderly widow and her Moabite daughter-in-law? With all that in mind, let's read our text together now, as I prefer to let the speak text for itself before providing my own comments. Ruth chapter 4. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend. Sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. Then he said to the Redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day that you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging. To confirm a transaction, the one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other. And this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I have bought from the, from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Kilion and Malhon. also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malhon, I have bought to be my wife, to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place." You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her lap and became his nurse. And the women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the generations of Perez. Perez fathered Hezron. Hezron fathered Ram. Ram fathered Aminadab, Aminadab fathered Nashon. Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz, Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, and Jesse fathered David. This is the word of the Lord. And this concludes the book of Ruth. This ending to the story reveals to us the author's intentions for telling the entire story That they were not ultimately about Naomi and Ruth, but about the most important genealogy in history. It was about preserving the line of King David. Therefore, the main idea of this chapter, and in fact, the entire story, is that the Lord uses unlikely circumstances to accomplish more than we can ever know. The Lord uses unlikely circumstances to accomplish more than we can ever know. This great resolution does close the chapter for Naomi and Ruth, but the significance of their lives is far greater than they could have ever imagined. What God did in their lives would matter for future generations to come, all the way down to us today. This chapter could be divided into three scenes. The first are verses 1 through 12, Uh, which take place at the gates of the city. Uh, The second are verses 13 through 17 that appear uh, at least nine months after that with the birth of Ruth's child. And then the author concludes with a genealogical record in verses 18 through 22. And I'd like to just take each of those divisions one at a time. So point one, in verses 1 through 12, we see a field redeemed. A field redeemed. Uh, that is the, the first matter of business that Boaz, Boaz has to tend to. Uh, his intentions are to redeem Ruth and to take her as his wife. Uh, but as I've mentioned already, Boaz is an honorable man who takes the role of guardian redeemer very seriously. Uh, and because he genuinely loves Ruth, he cares for her family as well. Uh, his actions as redeemer would be, pri- would be primarily to Naomi's family as her late husband Elimelech is his relative. So in order to marry Ruth and to properly redeem her name in the land, he must redeem Naomi's land. Uh, This would have been a plot of land that was given to Elimelech's family by the Lord. Uh, Some translations say it was a part of the field, uh, as it would have been designated to them within the region of their clan. Uh, And this is a little bit confusing that Naomi has land to sell. Uh, Because it's the first time that we've heard in the book that Naomi has any land. But what most likely happened was when the famine happened, the land stopped producing, so they left. Uh, And then most likely while they were gone for 10 years, uh, someone else moved in and was occupying the land. So the situation is one in which Naomi has the right to the land, uh, but being a woman in her own culture is not able to retain it for herself. That's usually when a family member can step in and legally purchase the land to give it back to them. Uh, Buying the land means you acquire everything in their inheritance, which would include Ruth above all else. So Boaz goes to the gates of the city. Uh, And the gates were just historically speaking where a lot of the legal business uh, would happen. Uh, The elders or judges of the land would meet there. And so Boaz goes directly there like he told Ruth he would. And it's interesting, if you look again at verse 1, you'll see it says, And behold, the Redeemer of whom Boaz had spoken of came by. It's not so obvious when uh, it's in English, the way that we read it. But uh, the way that, or or the phrase rather that's used here is very much the same as when Ruth goes out into the field. Uh, The language is something like, It just so happened. By happenstance, the other Redeemer that Boaz had spoken of came there at the same place and at the same time. It's another way the, lo- the author of the book pointing to God orchestrating all of these events. Boaz grabs the Redeemer, makes him sit down. We have no idea if these two people really even know each other. Uh, Boaz doesn't seem to tell anyone what he's doing. He grabs 10 other elders, uh, which basically was uh, 10 among a group of about 70 Elders or judges in the land that would typically oversee disputes and legal matters. So any kind of legal uh, status would need to be officially publicly recognized by by a group of representatives from this body of elders. And so he grabs them, he sits down with the other redeemer, and then he explains the situation. That Elimelech, who is deceased now, has land that needs redeeming, but he cannot redeem it unless the first redeemer refuses to. Uh, So this action urges the first redeemer to make a move so that Boaz will know whether or not he needs to step up and do it. Uh, And it must be the case that whoever this first redeemer was, and he's specifically not named in the book, which is interesting. Uh, He's he's basically described as Mr. So-and-so, this unnamed person. Uh, They must not have been that closely related to Elimelech, uh, because at least if we read between the lines, it appears it's been several weeks since Naomi and Ruth have come back since we've been through an entire harvest, and neither one of them have done anything. It also seems to be the first time this redeemer is hearing about the situation. But the redeemer agrees to buy the land at first, which might have caused you to gasp. Uh, we think, "Oh no, this can't happen. It's a good thing, of course. but we don't want another redeemer to buy the land. We want Boaz and Ruth to end up together. And you'll notice that Boaz waits to give all the terms of the agreement until after. He jumps in and tells him, by the way, when you do this, if you do this, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. And once that little detail makes it into the business, the first redeemer then recalculates and declines, uh, which seems a little privileged to us. It sounds perhaps maybe even discriminatory Uh, And there is definitely a stigma against Moab. So it doesn't do Ruth any favors to be defined as a Moabitess or a widow. Uh, It also appears that Boaz is using that negative trait to get what he wants out of the deal. Uh, But that makes it sound like Boaz is a little slimy, and that's not what's going on here. Uh, It actually appears that Boaz is helping the first redeemer understand the implications of everything. And the reason I think that is because of what Boaz says right after he mentions Ruth the Moabite. He says in verse 5, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. That sentence makes it clear that a leveret marriage is required as part of the land purchase. Uh, Why? Because Ruth has lost a husband and she has no sons. Uh, Mentioning that she is a widow and and the need to perpetuate the name of the dead for the inheritance means uh, that uh, the Redeemer would need to try to provide a son who would then receive the inheritance of Naomi as he grew older. Uh, This is made very clear by what Boaz says in in verse 10 to the witnesses. Uh, Basically, the firstborn would go to Naomi and Elimelech's line. Uh, What this does is makes this whole transaction much more costly for the Redeemer. Uh, Costly because already to acquire extra land uh, means more work. just more work to produce the land, to maintain it. To acquire Naomi and Ruth are more mouths to feed. If kids come along, that's even more mouths to feed. And you will eventually lose the land that you put the money into as the son grows older. You don't receive the benefits. He does. So it's not so simple of a deal. It would have decades of implications. And so after considering all the terms, the unnamed Redeemer declines, uh, which makes him sound like uh, not so upright of a guy. Uh, But I don't think we should assume that. I don't think the author is trying to paint a negative light over him. I think he's simply acting how we would expect anyone to act in light of those circumstances. Not to mention, I think Boaz told him that he would redeem Naomi if the first redeemer didn't, so that it would make him make it easier for him to decline the offer. It's less pressure if another redeemer comes after you and is willing. So Boaz buys the field officially, and they perform uh, the equivalent of basically <laughs> uh, shaking hands or signing a contract. Uh, if you're a, a kid, maybe this is like a pinky promise or, or a handshake where you're sharing saliva. I never did that as a kid, but in movies, that's what they did. Um, This is unusual to us, the removing of a sandal and giving it to the other person. Uh, But this is how legal business was settled and finalized. Uh, It was likely a way to symbolically allow another to stand in your place. Uh, Boaz, therefore, by receiving the sandal, figuratively steps into the shoes to fill the role as guardian redeemer once the business is done, there appears to be celebration. Uh, The witnesses bless Boaz in prayer, hoping the Lord would build up the house of Israel through Ruth joining his family. And it's truly incredible the way that they, or what they say, their hopes for Ruth are. Uh, First, they say, let her be like Rachel and Leah. And if you don't know who Rachel and Leah are, these are like the matriarchs of Israel. Uh, These are like the most famous women in Israel's history, uh, married to patriarchs of Israel. Uh, Together, they both gave birth to uh, 12 sons that became the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's incredible to think that someone would say that about a Moabite woman. Uh, They also mentioned Perez and Judah and Tamar, which uh, was a famous example in Israel's history of uh, a leveret marriage. It's a famous example of a time that the Lord produced uh, children through unfortunate circumstances uh, involving a death in the family and the need to produce an heir to continue the family line. Uh, you can read about that account in Genesis 38 later if you're curious. But through Tamar comes Perez, who is a significant head of the household, leading down to Boaz and eventually David. And it's shocking to hear such a blessing over the situation that the Lord would do amazing things through the unlikely marriage of Boaz and Ruth. So how can we apply this first section to our lives? Uh, First, friends, we should cherish the gift of salvation. Redemption is costly. That's one of the things we learn from this situation. What is emphasized in this part of the story is the cost of the Redeemer. Boaz takes all the risk to show this kindness to Naomi and Ruth. But all the risk and sacrifice of Boaz pale in comparison to the cost that our Lord Jesus paid to secure our redemption. He gave his very life. Jesus himself became a curse for us. He was despised by men so that we might be saved. Brothers and sisters, cherish the salvation that was bought for you by the blood of Jesus. Let it always be in the back of your mind that salvation came at the greatest cost imaginable. And consider the implications of the love and commitment that must come from the one who paid that cost. The second point of application, take the high road of integrity in life. Take the high road of integrity. Uh, not only is redemption costly, but integrity can be Inconvenient. Uh, Just look at all of the trouble that Boaz goes through to properly redeem Ruth. Uh, In chapter 3, she presents herself to him, and it seems like it would have been really easy for him to act right then and there to seal the deal. Uh, Of course, it would would not have been kind to Ruth or to Naomi or to this first redeemer. He could have just taken her and ignored all of that. But instead, he goes to the gates to perform a legal transaction, earning the blessing of witnesses Which turns out to be prophecy, the truth is at work in the world. The truth is that at work and in the world, you can expect a life of integrity to be inconvenient and hard to do things the right way. Uh, Sometimes people even expect you to stretch the truth. Uh, In my last job, I was at a major disadvantage because I decided to be uh, honest and transparent as much as possible. It cost lots of money, and it cost the company recognition to do things the right way. But friends, I know in my heart that the Lord is honored in doing those things, and I prioritize others over myself in doing it. The high road is often steeper and more difficult, but the views are much better. George Whitfield once said, He who is most pure in heart shall hereafter enjoy the clearest vision of God. So walk with all integrity. Second, first was a field redeemed. Point two is a family redeemed. In verses 13 through 17, a family redeemed. So Boaz buys the land, and in doing so, he acquires Ruth as his wife. And in verses 13 through 17, we're told... Uh, that redeeming does not stop with the land. Uh, He perpetuates, he preserves the name of Elimelech by bearing a son with Ruth. The story is tied up with a bow as the son Obed is placed on Naomi's lap an amazing providence from the Lord, Uh, moving from no hope in chapter 1 to redemption manifested in a little person. This all could have happened in about a year's time, though we don't know for sure. Uh, there are quite a few striking things about these events. First notice, uh, it's emphasized twice, that it is the Lord that brings about offspring. First in verse 12, the previous section, at the end of the witness's blessing, notice they say, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. And then in the, next, the very next verse, the narrator describes that very thing, The Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. The obvious thing to point out is that God is the giver of life. He is the creator, and conception is a miracle done by him. Pregnancy, therefore, is a great gift. Children are a blessing from the Lord, uh, even if they are unexpected or unplanned. Uh, Psalm 139 states that the Lord knit us together in our mother's And we opened the service with verses 15 and 16, which say, My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me. When I was yet, there was none of them. The Lord knows who we are before we even exist a day. He knew us before forming us. Ephesians says that he predestined us for good works before laying the foundations of the world. So friends, life comes from the Lord and it is not to be discarded. In our uh, cultural context, that point alone could easily be its own sermon, but I want to zoom in even closer to what's going on here. The reason why it's amazing that Ruth emphasizes the Lord giving them a son, Ruth the book, is because it's easy to forget that Ruth, the character up to this point, is barren. For 10 years, she was married to Malhon. She was unable to conceive. Naomi, too, is barren in that she's beyond childbearing years. The Lord worked a miracle not only in arranging the events of their redemption, but in opening the womb of Ruth to provide an heir for Naomi. This adds uh, Ruth to a long list of miraculous births, of examples of the Lord opening the wombs of important women in biblical history. Uh, Think about Sarah, Abraham's wife, who was elderly and was barren. The Lord promised Isaac and she conceived. Uh, 1 Samuel 1.5 says the the Lord closed Hannah's womb prior to giving her Samuel. Then he opened it again. Similarly, Elizabeth is barren before the birth of John the Baptist. Most notably, Mary was not barren but without a husband and conceived by the Holy Spirit to give birth to Christ. The significance of Obed is that he by default is assumed to be Naomi's redeemer. Isn't that fascinating? It's confusing when you read it. You think that the women are speaking about Boaz or about the Lord, Uh, in redeeming Naomi. But then they say that Ruth gave birth to this redeemer, meaning Obed will grow and redeem Naomi by carrying on the name and inheritance of Elimelech. He will care for her in her old age. Uh, Ruth and Boaz together uh, become redeemer producers. Now, as a side note, uh, Obed being placed on Naomi's lap and she becoming his nurse, It does not mean that Ruth was not his mother or that she just handed the baby over uh, without doing any skin-to-skin or anything like that. Um, uh, The mothers here may have been uh, struck by sadness uh, in reading that, so let me just be clear. The baby is still Ruth's. Uh, The point is not that the baby was not Ruth's. The point is that Ruth's child is the heir and redeemer to Naomi's family line. Uh, Ruth is like a legal surrogate in providing a son for Naomi, though he is still actually Naomi's grandson and Ruth's son. Uh, There's another statement in the women's blessing that is profound. Uh, And it is what they say about Ruth. Look at verse 15 again. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of old age. This is Obed. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you, this is Ruth, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Uh, Time and time again, Ruth has proved to be an amazing daughter. But this statement says it all. Ruth is worth more than seven sons. Absolutely incredible. Uh, The the perfect number, a number of completion modeled after the seven days of creation. Jews use this language uh, to communicate fullness, completeness. And just think for a moment about how that would have been received by someone like Naomi. Naomi who had two sons that she lost. At the beginning of the book, she felt as though she had lost everything in the land of Moab, returning empty. All the while, she had Ruth, not recognizing what the Lord had given her in Ruth through the process, who is worth more than seven sons. Her covenant loyalty, her character, and her Uh, providing an heir now, make her far more valuable than more sons. It's truly beautiful the way the Lord works in the life of Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Uh, The the book of Ruth, as we can tell from this conclusion, uh, is really all about Naomi and her family, how the Lord redeemed them. It progresses from her returning to Bethlehem, perceiving herself to be empty, And then gradually throughout the book, just being filled nonstop by the Lord until now, she's more full than she has ever been. A few points of application from this section for us. Uh, Brothers and sisters, we should keep a God's eye view of things in our lives. Not that we can see and know everything God does. The point is actually that we cannot. But we know that He can see And know all things. So we should keep in mind that the Lord is working in and through our lives in a million different ways that we could never know. Naomi could not have known how the Lord would use Ruth in her life or even the great tragedy. Second, no matter what's going on in your life, remember that like Naomi, the Lord has not left you without a redeemer. Did you notice that beautiful line in verse 14? The same is true of us. We who, in our sin, are cut off from God, deserving his just wrath, but the Lord has not left us without a redeemer. Critics of Christianity are quick to criticize a a system of perfect justice uh, in which some go to heaven and others go to hell, and they miss the fact that the gospel, the good news, means that God has provided a redeemer for all who trust in him, that we can be saved from his just wrath because he paid the price for us. Oh, friend, if you're not a Christian and you're here today, first, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, There's nowhere else I would rather you be on a Sunday morning, and you are always welcome to spend it with us. Uh, I want you to know that Jesus Christ came and lived a perfect life on earth. He died in our place as a substitute, to absorb the wrath of God so that those who believed in his death and his resurrection would not perish but could have everlasting life with him. If you have never heard that message or never put your trust in that message, consider doing so today. If you have questions about what that might look like, I would love to talk to you more about that afterwards and tell you what that has been like in my life and help you consider what that might look like in your life. Point three, a future redeemed. A future redeemed. Verses 18 through 22. Uh, The author decides to conclude the story with a bird's eye view. Uh, Up to these last few lines, we had no idea why Elimelech uh, or Naomi's family was important at all. I mean, it's an amazing, touching story, the story of Ruth. Uh, There is so much good to draw from it. Uh, it It would still be an incredible demonstration of how the Lord uses bitter providence to draw us into the safety of His promises. It would still be a great story that shows God moves in mysterious ways and that He is behind every event in our lives, big and small. It'd still be a shining example for us of steadfast love, commitment, faithfulness, and hope. And yet, with all of that glorious truth, these events are still far more important than we could have imagined. What the author did not tell us at the beginning was that the family in threat of extinction was the very family line that would produce Israel's greatest king. It wasn't just Naomi and Ruth's future at stake. It was the entire nation's future at stake. And as we'll see, all of humanity as well. A land redeemed? Yes. Family redeemed? Check. Well, how about a dynasty preserved? That's what comes from the great-grandson of Obed, the very king that would bring Israel out of that chaos that was referred to as the time of the judges, the first recognized king by the Lord. So the author records from Perez, the son of Tamar, all the way down to David, doubling down on the truth that God accomplishes his purposes in and through even the most dire circumstances. From the perspective of the reader, this entire story was written to show how the Lord had prepared the way for his king all throughout the history of his people. From as early as the patriarchal mothers down to Boaz and Ruth, he was preparing the way for David, who as we know prepared the way for Jesus to come after him. The most amazing thing to think about is how Naomi and Ruth and Boaz have absolutely no idea who their great-grandson would be as a result of this redemption. For them, their redemption was enough. The original readers of the story would be able to admire and appreciate the Lord's providence, knowing who David was. It was clearly written after David, since he is recorded there, so the original audience would have an appreciation And the Lord accomplished so much through David. He's arguably the greatest Old Testament figure, uh, maybe with the exception of Moses. That would be a great debate, though. If you're interested in having that conversation, let me know. I'll play devil's advocate, whichever side you choose. But even more amazing for us today, who know that this incredible story, this incredible lineage, does not even stop with David as amazing as that is. No, it goes on, and the Holy Spirit completes the genealogy for us to see and lay our eyes on in Matthew chapter 1. Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 1. From verses 3 through 6 of Matthew chapter 1 you have an almost identical list to that at the end of Ruth. Verse 3 says, And Judah, the father of Perez, and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezron, and Hezron, the father of Ram, and Ram, the father of Aminadab and Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon, the father of Salmon, and Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. One of my favorite observations about Matthew's genealogy is that Ruth is one of three women included, or named rather. Uh, Bathsheba is referred to, but not named. Ruth is one of three women named in this genealogy. Tamar is another who we've spoken of already. The other is Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute who feared the Lord when the spies entered the land. Guess whose mother she was? Boaz's. I can't help but wonder if part of the reason Boaz was so kind to provide shelter to Ruth was because he knew that his mother was also a Gentile looking for refuge under the wings of the Almighty. Matthew continues the genealogy. Through Israel's kings to the deportation and after exile, all the way down to verse 16, we see the list completed. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. As significant as David is, to us, the meaning is even greater because we know that from David came the Messiah, King Jesus, the King of the universe the redeemer of all our souls, the firstborn of creation who took on flesh and walked among us, never sinning, laying down his life to save his people, the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life. In the life of Naomi and Ruth, the Lord prepared the way for the Messiah, for the very Savior of the world. Friends, never limit The purposes of God Almighty to one particular person, at one particular place, at one particular time. God is always doing things beyond ourselves. If there's anything to learn from the book of Ruth, it's that we shouldn't assume God's work in the world is limited to what's going on in our own lives, to what we can perceive. He has worked throughout all history to bring about His Redeemer for mankind. The Lord uses unlikely circumstances to accomplish more than we could ever imagine. The story of Ruth demonstrates that beautifully. Therefore, as Christians, we can have confidence that whether or not we feel empty or full or bitter or sweet or desperate or safe, the Lord is our refuge. He is a redeeming God who shelters us under his wings. That means that for us, we have hope in all circumstances because we know God is working. We have joy in all circumstances because we know that no matter how bad they are, they cannot separate us from his love like we read earlier from Romans 8. John Piper said, for the Christian, there is always a connection between the ordinary events of life and the stupendous work of God in history. God has revealed to us all things pertaining to life and godliness because he has revealed to us the very center of his plans to redeem mankind, his son Jesus. For those who are called according to his purposes, he will continue to use unlikely circumstances to do more than we can ever imagine. Let us never forget that. And let us glory in our Redeemer, Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are speechless at the way that you work all things for the good of those who love you. We are amazed in the way that you have worked through generations in history, how you have preserved the line of King David all the way down to our Savior Jesus. And we are amazed even more to be included in your plan of salvation for humanity. We give thanks and praise to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.